0: Hi, I'm Josh van Burkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. We are carrying on with our... What are we? Acts. Yes. Acts. We're talking out of the book of Acts this morning. I was speaking with a friend of mine last night. And I said, we've been going through the book of Acts since the start of the year. And I said, I'm about to start chapter 4. This is pretty embarrassing. But chapter 4, even though uh, it's the start of a chapter, it's not the start of a story because we didn't get, you know, chapter breaks put in and verses breaks put in. It was just one book when it was written. And so we're actually just about to wrap up the story that was started in Acts chapter 3. You guys remember the story? Peter and John walk into the temple. They see a paralyzed guy. Peter heals him miraculously. He follows him into the temple. A crowd gathers because they all recognize this guy that's been paralyzed for decades that they've stepped over on their way into church, and now he's walking around praising God, jumping around, making a scene. So a crowd gathers, and then... Oh, thank you, away, Appreciate that. A crowd gathers, and... I've got to drink it now. Peter recognizes a preaching opportunity when he sees one, and so he delivers a message to this group of people that were there Uh, And at the start of chapter 4, the crowd has become so big and it's created such a scene that now the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the temple guards are attracted to the commotion. So now you've got context. That's what's going on. Uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 1. I'll just read through this passage and then I'm just going to highlight a couple of things real quick. Uh, The priests, here's what I don't have. I don't have the Bible verses on screen. I just have the reference because you need to bring your Bibles to church. I've just decided, I've made a rule, right? If you don't bring your Bible to church, well done, Julie, bring your Bible, bring your iPad, bring your smartphone, whatever it is that you got your Bible on. I like hard copy Bibles. I just love it. I know where I am in the Bible. Bring it to church. If you don't bring it to church, you're not gonna know what's going on. That's just what I've decided. But this is the passage, Acts 4, chapter one to 22. I am gonna read it though, but you can follow along with me. I've got an NIV, yay. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people. A religious spirit loves control. A religious spirit loves to tell you what to think. A religious spirit does not like free thinkers. It doesn't like you reading your Bible. It doesn't like you having your own connection with God. These religious leaders were not happy because the apostles were teaching the people and that's not their job. It's the teachers of the law job to tell people what to think. They were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? It means that they were going around telling everybody, hey, Jesus came back to life. This is a problem if you're the guys that crucified him. <laughs> it's not a good look, right? So these, they've got concerns. First of all, these apostles, these unqualified, uneducated men are teaching the people. And second, they're telling everybody that Jesus came back to life. We cannot have this. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 5,000 men plus women plus children. I want to make an observation here about how to grow a church. I have done a lot of research and a lot of study around how to grow a church, and no one's ever explained it like this. But I think when you read the book of Acts, it becomes really obvious how the apostles grew the early church from 120 people to here we are a couple of weeks later, perhaps. 5,000 men plus women. We're talking probably over 10,000 people in this church in a matter of weeks, maybe a couple of months. How did they do it? They did it like this. A demonstration of the power of God and proclamation of the gospel. That is how the early church grew from 120 people to 10,000 plus people, including women and children. They showed people what Jesus can do and they told people what Jesus had done. That's how the church grew. You look at it in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and lands on all the believers. They start speaking in other tongues. That's not possible. It's the power of God at work in their life. A crowd gathers. How is this happening? What is going on? They demonstrated the power of God, and then in that context, they then proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. And then we have it again, the very next chapter, Acts chapter 3, they heal a paralytic man, a crowd gathers, how has this happened? What is going on? They demonstrated the power of God, and then Peter preached the gospel. And I want you to notice a couple of really big similarities between Peter's messages, and they are repent and turn to God. In both sermons, that's his main thrust, is repent and turn to God. Demonstration and proclamation. What did I say last week? I said that Christianity is a faith that is supposed to be a show and tell faith. That's the way it was created to be. That's the lifestyle that Jesus modeled. That's the lifestyle that the apostles modeled. It's the lifestyle the early church modeled. We're supposed to show people the power of God in our lives. And then we tell them about the love of God. I love what it says. I'm just gonna cheat and jump forward to Acts chapter eight real quick. Couple of verses. We'll get to it in like four months time. You'll have forgotten by then. In chapter 8, it talks about the church being persecuted and scattered, and it says that Philip, who's one of the apostles, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. Why did they pay close attention to what he said? Because they saw the signs that he performed and they heard the words that he preached right? The problem that we have in Christianity in 2022 is that we're all talk, no do. We're all hooey, hooey, no doey, doey. And we need to come to a place where we go, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with living my life without the manifest power of God in it. It's not the way it's supposed to be, all right? It's not the way it's supposed to be. How do we end up like Peter and John, walking around healing people and preaching to crowds, and it's pretty awesome. Let's skip forward. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. I'm going to list a bunch of names. They're all annoying people. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas. These are the guys that literally crucified Jesus, that said, we don't want you to let Jesus go. When Pilate said, I'm going to let him go, they said, no, release Barabbas, the murderer. We want this guy executed. It's these people. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? So they're not denying that a miracle's happened. They want to understand, how did you do this? How is this possible? Then Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, because there's a lot of people watching. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He quotes a verse from Psalm 118. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Look at verse 13. We're gonna circle back to this and then I'm done. When we saw, or when they saw rather, the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that doesn't believe in God and they've just got so much to say? They've got so many opinions. They've got so many arguments, so many reasons why God's not real, why they believe what they believe. Do you know what shuts that whole thing down? Healing someone that's been paralyzed for 40 years shuts them up pretty quick. Since they could see the man that had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin. That's where they were meeting, fancy word. And then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem. How many people in Jerusalem? Everyone. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. In other words, okay, these guys have performed a miracle. They're telling everybody that Jesus came back from the dead. We're not happy about it. We'll get them back in here and we'll just tell them, don't. Let's see how this goes down. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what's right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to Him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Ah, oh, that we would get our lives to that point. Where we don't have to stir up a desire to tell somebody else about Jesus. It doesn't come out of some obligation. It doesn't come out of some program. I don't have a book of tracts that I hand out. I don't go door knocking. I just cannot help telling people about what I have seen and heard. How many people, be honest, are going to go home today and ring up their friends and say, guess what happened at church today? Probably not many of us. Imagine, Jackie's gone now. But imagine if Jackie got out of your wheelchair and started walking around. Who thinks that that might pop into conversation at some point during the week? Of course it would. Right? The reason that so many of us struggle to talk about Jesus is because we've got nothing to talk about. And we just keep living like that, like it's Okay. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So this kind of wraps up the story that we've been looking at for the last couple of weeks. They do a miracle, a crowd gathers, Peter preaches to them, thousands more get saved. The religious leaders get their nose put out of joint. They say, hey, don't do this anymore. Peter and John say, or what? And then just say, we're just gonna keep doing it. And they go, yeah, okay. And that's the end of the story. Like it's a pretty, pretty funny story. I want to circle back to verse 13, because this is the verse for us this morning, and then, then we are done. Oh, look at this. This was just, it's popped up on my Facebook feed, and I read it, and I thought, that, that stings a little bit. It's Charles Spurgeon, who's a pretty cool guy. He says, Luke, warmness is a way of saying, God, I believe in you, but you just don't excite me. If you're someone this morning that goes, yeah, I believe in God, but I'm not like excited about God. That's, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's not a very nice word. Do you know what um, uh, this week is? I didn't know this until last night. I went to a, a church meeting last night over in, in Rolleston. Andre and the Cornerstone crew were hosting a guy called uh, Kristen Williams. And so I went there to uh, hang out with him and have dinner and stuff afterwards. And he was saying that this week, is the 100th anniversary of Smith's Wigglesworth coming to New Zealand and running meetings in Wellington. This week, Smith's Wigglesworth, who's heard of Smith's Wigglesworth? All right, he's a pretty cool guy. I mean, you read some of the stuff that he gets up to. Smith's Wigglesworth came to New Zealand in May 1922, and he ran a bunch of meetings around the country, but the most famous ones were in Wellington. He ran them for about three weeks, And on the first night at the town hall in Wellington, towards the end of May 1922, they had 800 people show up. On the second night, they had 1,500 people show up. And on the third night, they had 3,000 people show up. And that is as many as you can possibly jam-pack into the town hall in Wellington at the time. And then every night for the next three weeks, 3,000 people showed up and up to 1,000 people would sit outside. And eventually a Salvation Army pastor saw the opportunity. And so while Smith Wigglesworth was preaching to the 3,000 inside, the Salvation Army guy was preaching to the 1,000 outside and people were being miraculously healed. Newspaper, Newspaper articles and everything. Blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, people getting out of wheelchairs. It was happening inside the town hall. It was happening outside the town hall. And this week, 100 years ago, when it wrapped up, Smith Wigglesworth said, there is a move of God coming to New Zealand, a healing move of God that is going to make everything that you've seen in the last three weeks look like nothing. It's gonna pale in comparison. And this week will be 100 years since he gave that prophecy. I think 100 years is long enough to wait. Don't you? Yeah, don't overwhelm me with your response. It's, it's a little bit too intense. Let's just look at verse uh, verse 19. Here's the question that we're gonna answer in the next five minutes, then we're done. The question is, how do we, how do we become like Peter and John? This lifestyle of we're walking around, we're seeing paralyzed people, we're healing them, you read through the rest of the book of Acts, Peter and John get up to all sorts of mischief. All so, They get thrown into prison. They're getting busted out of prison. They've got angels showing up. How do we live a life like Peter and John? How do we end up like those guys? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want to just get into the Greek real quick for a couple of words. First word. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary. First of all, the word courage. It's a Greek word, right? Parisia. Let me ask you this question. How do you see courage? Courage is not an outward thing. Like you can look at me and you can see he's got glasses. You can see he's got a black shirt on. You can see he's about six foot tall. But you can't look at someone and see courage. So how did they see the courage of Peter and John? Well, paresia means boldness or confidence, frankness, bluntness. I love this definition, freedom in speaking or unreservedness in speech. This courage that they saw in Peter and John came immediately after Peter had just ripped them a new one and said, hey, we healed this guy through the power of Jesus. Remember him? You crucified him is the only name by which we can be saved, is the capstone that you builders rejected. These are the guys that have just had them in prison for the whole night. These are the guys that literally crucified Jesus Christ. If there was ever a time to maybe keep your mouth shut, ever a time to maybe just play it cool, just internalize, we're going to go to crucify Jesus, we not going to say anything this would have been one of those times, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter just told it like it was, and these guys were so taken aback by it, they're like, wait a minute, don't you know that we, we could put you back in prison, we could have you beaten to within an inch of your life, we could crucify you, we crucified your leader, why, why do you think it's okay to talk to us like this? They were so taken aback by just the unreservedness of speech, and let me tell you something, I think in 2022, maybe we just need to be a little bit more like Peter and John, If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you say what he tells you to say and don't worry about what the consequences might be. That's the caveat though, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're not and you say whatever you wanna say, you can make a big mess. So you gotta be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Second word I wanna look at is unschooled. Do you know what the word unschooled mean? It's a grammatos and it means illiterate. The Aramaic translation of that word means they didn't know the scrolls or by extension, they couldn't read the scrolls. So if you want to be like Peter and John, you don't have to be that educated because according to the Bible, they weren't. In fact, there's an argument to be made they couldn't even read. Obviously, they must have learned because Peter wrote some letters or else he dictated them to somebody to write. Another word that we're going to look at is ordinary men. Let me see if you can work out from the Greek what this word means. That is the Greek word. You look up, you read the Bible in the Greek, that is the word. They were agramatos idiotis. We have a word in the English language that comes from that word. It means uh, unlearned or ignorant, and it is literally uh, ignoramus. So the Bible is not being overly kind here. When it says that they were unschooled, ordinary men, what it means is that they were illiterate, ignorant idiots. It's kind of how the Bible puts it. So we don't need to be overly educated to be like Peter and John. I think most of us would say that we, I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm going to say most of you know how to read and write. So already you're more educated than these guys were, possibly. Secondly, I know most of you, and you're not idiotes. Like you're not ignoramuses. You're pretty cool, actually. So I think actually when it comes to culture and just awareness of where you are, you you probably beat them too. So those aren't the things that are holding us back. Let's look at the third word. This is the issue. They took note that they had been with Jesus. And that word with is a Greek word. It's the Greek word son. And it means accompanied or beside. It means to be in union with or together with. That is by association, companionship, to be in process with, to even resemble the person that you're with. And when you compound it, it's got a similar application to completeness. I'm not gonna lie, I spent half an hour trying to find the right Jerry Maguire photo to say, you complete me, but I couldn't find it. And then I thought, nah, it's a bit lame, so I didn't do it. But that's the first thing that I thought of, right? Who's seen Jerry Maguire? You know, who, remember that scene where he comes back and he's like, you complete me? And then what does she say? You had me at, hello. Oh, let's go home and watch it this afternoon right this this is how Peter and John were able to do what Peter and John did why they were able to show the power of God and then tell people about the gospel because they spent time with Jesus Uh, I don't like rules I'm going to close my Bible so you know that I'm done go to the next slide there you go I don't like rules I don't like being told what to do I get it I I resent people being like you've got to do this and you've got to do that but man there are some spiritual disciplines that are just non-negotiable in our life You've got to be spending time with Jesus. It's just, I would be doing you a disservice if I got up and said anything else. If there's, I, you know, one day the time will come years and years and years down the line when maybe I'm not here anymore. And you'll talk about that time we had Josh Van Burkle as a pastor. And if someone said to you, well, what, did he, what was he like? I just want you to be like, man, he would not shut up about telling us that we had to spend time with Jesus. Read our own Bibles, pray. Fast all the time. No, don't do that. Just periodically. When the bridegroom is with you, you don't need to fast. Right? You can't shortcut this. You cannot shortcut a relationship with Jesus. You can't shortcut a relationship with anybody. You can't do it with Jesus either. And you've got to take this serious. We want to see God do extraordinary things. We want to be a group of people that demonstrate the power of God and then proclaim the gospel you can't do that independent of the Holy Spirit and independent of a relationship with God, and you can't shortcut that. Just, I just want to encourage you this morning. Take it seriously. What we saw this morning was awesome, coming to church, you know, encountering God, feeling His presence or believing in faith that He's moving in your life. That's all great. But there is billions of people out there that need to meet Jesus. And Jesus, in His infinite wisdom, has created a system for them to hear about Him, and it's you, and it's me. And what the Bible is teaching us here is that if you just tell them about God, but you've got no proof to back it up, then they're not going to buy it. The problem at the moment, I'll wrap up now. The problem at the moment is that the church in the Western world, particularly in New Zealand, I don't know if you've been reading media, it lacks credibility. And it lacks you lack credibility when you tell someone something and then you can't back it up. That's the essence of credibility. If I said to Abel, oh, yeah, I can bench press 100 kilos, and he goes, oh, show me, and I'm like, like, all of a sudden, I'm not credible. If Jared says, oh, yeah, I saw someone ding the car out the front, and then I go, well, you weren't even out the front. You've been in here the whole time. Like, it lacks credibility. We've got to stop telling people about Jesus and then having nothing to back it up. And the way you're going to have something to back it up is to spend time with him, understand who he is, build that relationship, that connection. Is that cool? Oh, man, you guys got like both barrels this morning. Sorry about that. Cool. Let me pray for you. And then, We're done. Heavenly Father, I pray that everyone would forgive me if I was too mean uh, or too confrontational. God, we want to be a body of believers that demonstrate the power of God. Lord, we want to be a body of believers that don't just talk about what Jesus has done, but we can show people what Jesus can do. Lord, we want to lay hands on the sick and see them healed. Lord, we want to set people free from spiritual oppression. Lord, we want to see people set free from their sin. We want to declare truth. God, I pray that we would be a group of people that resemble the church in the book of Acts that we're studying. Lord, I pray that none of us would ever be satisfied with a life that is anything less than everything you have created us to be. God? I pray that you would stir up every single person that calls Activate Christ Church home and that you would just refuse to allow us to settle for anything less than your best. God, I pray you would ruin us for any relationship with you that isn't deeply intimate. God, for every single person here, I just ask that you would impress upon them the urgency of the time that we live in, Lord, the need for us to show up the way that you want us to show up in this world. God, it's so easy to get distracted, to buy into culture, to think that this is important or that's important, or we've got to look this way or look that way, and so often, God, it's just not how you're calling us to live. God, I pray that our priorities would become, oh, sorry, your priorities would be our priorities. What matters to you would matter to us. Lord, like the song that we were singing before, that you would open our eyes, that your spirit would fall in our lives. Lord, I just commit everybody here into your hands. I thank you for the work that you did this morning, and I just seal it right now with the Holy Spirit. I bless them. I pray that they would have a fruitful and productive week, that you would move in their life, and they would see you moving. In Jesus' name, amen.